1: Nation podcast. HawkeyeNation.com Andrew Downs and Rob how with you once again on a rainy Monday here in Des Moines. Rob, how you doing, man? You guys got
0: rain, huh? It's just cloudy here so far. I think it's coming our way, though. Pretty steady?
1: It's, you know, it's steady, but but light. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, not, not a ton of rain. You know, it was funny over the weekend, uh, my son is playing t-ball and, and here in Urbana they've they've opened up the league and so we're there's like four players on a team. You know, it's, it's very they're, they're doing things the right way, so we appreciate that. But the only hour it rained all week was the hour where he was supposed to have his t-ball game on Saturday and so that got canceled and that was kind of a bummer but other than that I had a pretty good weekend
0: and uh, it's the state we're getting closer to state baseball and softball and that usually coincides with rain right yes you We know, start yes. getting rain when those events come <laughs> and exactly just, right you know, it creates anarchy with the schedule <laughs>
1: yes yes that's exactly right <laughs> well Rob uh, obviously the the big thing going on in, in Hawkeye Nation right now at Hawkeye Nation right now is a uh, report that you posted this morning Uh, you obtained a report uh, I think it was dated in 2019 it details an investigation in 2018 into racial disparities really within the Iowa Athletic Department Um, but I I think as they they went through this um, football was was kind of the main focus Uh, I guess first just uh, how did this all come about how did this reporting go and um, yeah how did you acquire this report Uh, just walk us through a little bit of that stuff
0: Yeah, so I agree with you. I mean, I think it's important to point out that this was a department, athletic department-wide report, and not just focused on football. Um, But as Gary has said, it was reported verbally to him that a lot of these allegations, uh, feelings were coming out of football. And we haven't had any other athletes to my knowledge from other sports at Iowa coming out and charging racial bias or discrimination. So you kind of ha- have to connect the dots there a little bit, but the onus for this report was that the graduation rate for uh, you know black athletes at Iowa was so low and alarming and we've talked about that before on this podcast and that really is what sparked them to get this div- diversity task force report or P- diversity task force committee together to um, study this in the fall of 2018, and then they submitted the report to Gary Barta in early 19. Uh, he obviously saw it. Kirk has said he saw he's seen the full report. I asked him on Thursday about that, and um, he's addressed it before in, in other press conference. So they were aware that this report was out there. Um, And, uh, you know, made some changes, uh, you know, within the department and then within the football program. Um, And Kirk had said himself that, you know, he thought he was doing enough. He thought that the culture was okay last year and that... um, but did drop the ball. One of the aspects of that came out of the report, uh, one of the initiatives that came out of the report was that he would, you know form a committee of black student athletes on his team, and they would meet you know, and, and try to move things forward. Well, they met in August of last year. And then at that point, Kirk told them that they would meet again at the bye week and then again in December. And neither of those meetings happened. Um, again, he said he felt like, you know, the culture was OK at the, within the program. Uh, you know, he, he has said he didn't realize that there were, you know, racial issues or racial problems or, you know, racism in his program um in terms of how i got the report um it uh I, i'm obviously not going to say where i got it yeah uh but it's just i think there are a lot of people and we talked a little bit before we started recruiting or recruiting uh, recording andrew <laughs> uh rec- yeah that's a freudian slip there with recruiting yeah. uh, that um you know, I think the people that really care about Iowa football and want to see the necessary change and want to see this, you know, hope that Iowa can be the face of change. Because as I wrote in the story today, this isn't unique to Iowa. This isn't the only place it's happening. Iowa just, it came out last month, um, you know. Like a ball of fire, there were a lot of players. I think it's, you know, the, the most recognizable of these stories because of the volumes of volume of players that spoke out. Um, but I've written columns, a couple of columns, saying, you know, that Iowa can be the face of change here, and it's been talked about. And uh, I think the people that really want that. Um, I think the people that really care about the program and s- wanting it to see change, from former players to administrators to coaches, uh, to current players, um, they want transparency. Man, they want everything out there so that the, you know, there are there are. Measures in the system that are taking place to make sure there's a system of checks and balances and this does not happen again. I really think that's really the motivation for the people that care most about this program.
1: Yeah, I I agree, and that's, that's certainly... You know what I want. Now, honestly, how I felt after, and we'll talk more about Thursday's press conference at some point here, but uh, you know, coming out of that press conference, listening to Kirk Ferentz and then uh, the three players he had with him, it felt like, okay, things are, are headed in the right direction, and although we don't have, you know, you and I have talked for a couple of weeks about We don't have a lot of concrete examples of things that are happening. We don't have uh, exactly what's going on and and probably won't get a lot of that until after this uh, external investigation is completed and and we see the report. but I did come out of that press conference kind of feeling like, all right, things are, are at least moving in the right direction, uh, hopefully on the right track and and things are being acknowledged and 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 changing. This report that, that I read today your your story I read today doesn't change any of that, but it certainly then uh, it, it certainly puts it into a, a bit of a different context at least for me you know when you when you look at um, Kirk and Gary Barter kind of acknowledging that they knew there were there were some issues, but maybe didn't know the extent of it, or acknowledging that they had begun to do some things to change, but uh, maybe hadn't done enough or gone far enough. And then you see this report that that they both read over a year ago, and you wonder. How could they not see that huge changes need to be made? How could they not think that there were big, big issues that really needed uh, strong leadership to to, to change? You know, Again, I'll just go through some of what you reported here. The Diversity Task Force interviewed 50 current and former black and white student-athletes, senior or mid-level staff members in uh, University of Iowa Athletics Management, and staff members holding positions as coach, operations director, athletic training, or strength and conditioning across the entire athletic department. Uh, The latest information shows that Ferentz knew well before the June social media storm that you mentioned that black players felt they were. And here's some bullet points, and, and you just can't. Can't get away from these things. Expected to conform to white culture. Subjected to verbal harassment. Targeted for extra drug testing. Misled about resources available to them during their recruiting process. Subjected to inequ- inequitable discipline policies and double standards. Misunderstood by both coaches and white players. And unsupported in their academic pursuits. And that list, Rob, is is damning. I mean that that's that's rough to read about your favorite football team and, and your favorite athletic department. Um and you wonder how leadership could look at a report that that lays those things out and not do everything they could to to enact change uh, right away. And and so that that's where it gets disappointing to me as a Hawkeye fan and a fan of Kirk Ferentz that uh, they saw this report. We know they had all of this information over a year ago, and really it took the players taking to social media and making this public and forcing their hand for any real lasting uh, change to to begin. And that. Again, that that's just the really disappointing thing for me as a fan.
0: Yeah, and I'm I was really interested to do this podcast. I'm all, I'm always excited to do the podcast with well, you, Andrew, you. but especially especially today, just to kind of get your um, your view as a fan of the program and kind of how you it, you know. Interpret this information and and, and process it because I think everybody's kind of processing this all today. Yeah. Um, since seeing this for you know the full report for the first time, for me I, I think you touched on it there. You know when when James Daniels and then Mike Daniels, Jaleel Johnson, Amani Hooker, and then just the flow of players that told their stories last month um, came out publicly. There was a lot. I think a f- maybe not maybe a lot is too much, but a fair amount, and I think too much backlash at them for speaking out publicly and not doing this yes. behind closed doors. Yeah, why not take it to and Kirk? Exactly. Why not take it to the football program? Why not handle this in-house? Why not handle this between each other? Yeah. Um, This report indicates that they tried, particularly James Daniels, who not only was interviewed for this task force report, but also met in person in Gary Barter's office in in the spring of 2019. After his rookie season with the Chicago Bears, he came back to earn his degree, finish his degree in the spring of 2019. He met with Gary and let him know that the things that were in this task force report were happening in football. And then... You know, fast forward to more than a year later, and he felt the need to come out and say this publicly, which opened up the floodgates for all these other former athletes to come out publicly and talk about it. What happens if back in early 2019, there is more done here? And Iowa and Gary Barta and Kirk Ferentz say, wow, this is alarming, we, we, reno, we need to, to address this now. What is going on here? And investigate it, look into it, um, and then go from there. Um, Kirk has talked about a blind spot. Uh, he talked about dropping the ball in terms of that, you know, the the – the committee of black student-athletes on his team that were supposed to meet during last season and only met once in August uh, and hasn't met since. Um, That, to me, um, for this, you know, the story today was really, I think it answered that question that was out there that people had of why wasn't this handled in house by these former players because they took a lot of crap on social media when they spoke out.
1: Yeah, they did, and you know, so it, I guess it, it leads the question, and you you have a quote in there in your your story again, HawkeyeNation uh from Gary Barta during his June fifteenth press conference. It was just after they had separated with uh, with Chris Doyle uh, after we had heard from Kirk and a couple of the players initially. Uh, and, and Gary Barta said, quote, I convinced myself that we were doing enough. Frankly, the past few weeks have been a wake-up call for me, I know for Kirk, but everybody in Iowa football and Iowa athletics was woken up. Uh, so h- how were you not woken up by this report in 2019? That That's like the disconnect. That's what I don't understand. The, you know, the I, I get that everything they've said in the last month or six weeks or however long this has been has been the right things, and I've appreciated that, and I think I've given them ample credit for that both on this podcast and on my radio show and on social media. I've tried to give them every." benefit of the doubt that they are doing the right things, that they can change and, and are, ha, have acknowledged this issue in their program and are doing what they can to change it, but now to, to know that they knew there was this issue in this program, so e- either they didn't believe these things in the report in 2019, or they didn't think they were real or important, or they swept it under the rug hoping it would never come out. And it, if, if the answer to that is A, that they, they didn't believe them or, or didn't think they were that important, why are they important now? Because it's because it's public, like that—that's not a good enough answer. And if it's B that they swept it under the rug, hoping it would never come out publicly, then damn, like that's thats very, very bad. Uh, and and so I guess that those are just the answers. And when you say kind of how I feel about this. I'm not sure how I feel about this in in total. You know, I've had a few hours to digest this, and after again six weeks of kind of processing this uh, day by day, and uh, my emotions going up and down. Like I said, Thursday after that press conference, I felt pretty good about things, and I, I don't feel as good right now. Not again. Not that this report or this information uh, changes anything that's happened over the last six weeks. I believe that they had these meetings they talked about. I believe the players do feel more open in that program right now, more free to speak their minds. I feel like there there has been a shift in this culture. Um, but that doesn't absolve everything that happened before it. That doesn't make it okay. And it certainly doesn't make it okay uh, when you see proof that they knew about these things. And not just uh, kind of snippets of these things, not just whispers of these things, but a report by a diversity task force. I mean, first of all, that there were issues enough that you had to put together a diversity task force to, to study this. And then when you get that report and essentially uh, don't do... I don't want to say don't do anything with it but don't do enough with it and I think they've acknowledged that they haven't done enough with it, enough with it um I just, I guess, I want to know a better answer than now it's public, uh, as to why now it's different. Uh, What happened in these last six weeks, other than those players becoming, you know, coming out publicly with it, uh, that made you realize this was a real issue, that made you realize this is something that needed to be changed? Because when I read this report, Rob, I realized very quickly that this is an issue and that something needs to be changed. And I have a feeling that guys like Gary Barta who were smarter than me, had that feeling too when they read this back in 2019. So, so then the question are just just hard to answer. You know why? Why didn't you do more? How could you possibly have thought that you were going to get away with with not doing enough to 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 remedy this issue? Um, it- yeah, and that's
0: that's kind of you know, and I'll editorialize here a little bit. Um, because, and there's no way really to quantify this, but Gary was very emotional on his June fifteenth press conference. I sensed some guilt there, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think he would probably admit that if he was being honest, that he didn't do more, and he said as much. And then Kirk has said a couple times in the last month and a half that what happened with George Floyd and the cultural awakening to racial bias in this this country that was sparked, unfortunately, by a man having to die in the streets of Minneapolis— Kirk has said kind of woke people up woke the the world up I just you, you, you know it took that and it took the players coming out publicly the last month and a half to spark this change in Iowa football can we dismiss that more should have been more should have been done by because of this task force report or were Kirk and Gary Did Kirk and Gary honestly think they were doing enough at the time? Because they both have kind of said they wish they did more. But did they honestly think they were doing enough? And if so, you know how, how, you know what was really going on over there? I think there are so many questions that that I think are fair to ask at this point. And you're asking them as a fan, and that's why I'm, I'm, you know. It's important for me to hear from you because I've been, you know, I've been waiting in this story now for like three weeks trying to get, you know, I've had this report for a while. I've just I'm trying I've tried to gather as much information as I could. I tried to talk to as many ex players as I could to get a feeling of what their experiences were like, particularly guys that were in this program last fall. And uh, I got some of them to talk off the record, and I didn't include that in the story because I didn't want to use unnamed sources, but I really just wanted to get a feel for what the actual atmosphere was like after that report came out. Some guys said it got, you know, they, they they appreciated those wardrobe changes and that, you know, it was at least a move in the right direction. But I got the sense overall that they in the program didn't feel like it was enough. And if you listen to Ivory Kelly Martin and his quotes are part of what I closed my this story with that's in that's on hawkeynation.com today. And, I, and before I get to that too, I wanna really thank David Schwartz. John Miller, Rick Brown, and the other guys that helped me edit this story and put it together um, at Hawkeye Nation. Those guys were invaluable just in terms of being soundboards and people, you know, got people that I, I respect in this business that read over that, you know, the story objectively and gave me, co- you know, constructive criticism that I used to make changes to make the story as balanced as I could. But going back to uh, Ivory Kelly Martin. You know, he, he met with us on, on June 12th when he was with Kirk Ferentz, and he, he used that eggshells uh, analogy again, and having to look over his shoulder, and he was talking about last season, you know, after this mm-hmm. report came out, so...
1: That's what I'm struggling with, Andrew. Yeah, same here. And then, you know, you you, you break down the report. Uh, the, the study was broken up uh, into three subcommittees. You had the student-athlete subcommittee, the coaching subcommittee, the staff and administrator subcommittee. And when you read through these things, Rob, the, the biggest thing that jumps out to me right away, just kind of an overarching thing, is uh, what students were experiencing. And, and, and both black and white students, uh, student-athletes, uh, acknowledged these things and talked about these things. What they talked about, what they reported... What they uh, were interviewed about were things that the coaches, and then even more starkly, the staff and administrators, seem to be just completely unaware of. Uh, and, and again, that's just a, a damning thing to have an administration that isn't aware that their athletes are, are have these feelings, are being treated this way, or at least think they're being treated this way, overwhelmingly believe that they're being treated this way differently. Um you talk about uh, the, the, uh, the players talking about the, the white student-athletes at Iowa are viewed as the standard that African-American student-athletes should tr- strive to mold themselves after. That's a quote from one student-athlete in the report. And white student-athletes agreed with this statement. And that, particularly students from Iowa, found it easier to fit that mold. And again, when you have an entire group of, of athletes who are saying, "Yes, this is this double standard is there," and we all see it and we all acknowledge it, and then you have coaches say, "Eh, you know, maybe a little bit," and the administrator saying, oh, I'm no, "I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm I'm paraphrasing a lot there, but that's the overarching thing I got was just this disconnect." Uh, and a, a hard to believe disconnect between administrators and coaches and the athletes that they are in charge of. Uh, is, is am I missing anything there? Is that is that kind of how you felt about that? No, I am.
0: I really appreciate you driving this bus because I'm my mind is, <laughs> <laughs> is kind of <laughs> melted right now, and you're making excellent points. Particularly, I think people should realize that this report is beyond. It goes beyond player allegations it gives you perceptions of what the coaches and administrators how they viewed this how they viewed black athletes how they they uh, viewed black student athletes and maybe the biases that they had not mm-hmm. maybe the definite biases at least according to this report that yeah. they had um and that's as much p- a part of this as the how the student athletes felt because it was, I think a lot of it was how they felt was a lot of it was the result of these, you know, preconceived racial biases of, you know, black players being at risk, um, you know, not from two family home. just some stuff yeah. that are just really hot button r- verbiage and words that you're like, whoa. And I, that's why I encourage people to read this whole report and just kind of take your time with it. Don't rush through it, and just kind of try to absorb it and 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 um, you know look at it from from all vantage points, and then kind of understand what this report is saying. Um, and. That's that's really I, I think that the key to this whole thing is the understanding and the communication and as you said Andrew the disconnect that was there how much work is it going to take to reconnect mm. or educate in the in that football building in that athletic department and also one question I wondered and I probably should have researched this a little bit better. Who in the university had access to this report? I mean, mm, yeah. this is kind of contained in the athletic department. Did somebody else, you know, the president's office or somebody see this report? That's uh, that's probably a question that needs to be answered.
1: It certainly is. Yeah, and, and just from the coaches bit of it, um, this is I'm going to read right from your story. Uh, coaches reported they treat student athletes the same. However, there was a stark difference when coaches described black and white student-athletes. Coaches more likely described white student-athletes as being from two-parent homes, good upbringing, smart, tough, talented. In contrast, when they described black student-athletes, they talked about their socioeconomic background, tough upbringing, or at-risk. And that, that's kind of what you mentioned there. Those are um, those are flashpoint words, man. That, that, that's, that is... and. and I think through this whole thing, some people have had trouble because there's not a lot of overt racism. There's not a lot of there. There haven't been a lot of allegations of uh, racial slurs or um, you know, and and some of the more bombastic allegations are, are from people who uh, whose credibility can be called into question, but. Uh, when we talk about racism and when we talk about unconscious bias, which is a, which is a, a phrase that we're all learning about, and a lot of people, it's a it's a trigger word for some people for some reason. This is what we're talking about. When you look at two kids and that one had a tough upbringing, and the only difference is one is white and one is black. Now that that's not necessarily the case here. I'm simplifying this very much, uh, but th- this is the racism that we're talking about. This is the unconscious bias. This is the the institutionalized, the systemic racism. Uh, that we see in our society in all facets, but it certainly uh, is, is being seen here within the Iowa Athletic Department. Um, it, it's just, you you can't turn your head away from this stuff just because it doesn't say that coaches were you know calling black players the N-word or something like that. Uh, the way that they viewed these these athletes was different based on their race. That is racism. And, and that's a huge problem. The fact that they don't even acknowledge that or, or aren't, aren't able to see that. Uh, and then when it is shown to them, seemingly don't... Don't do enough to 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 fix it or to change it or to educate themselves about it. Uh, it's just it's it's really it's just again disappointing. Uh, I, I don't really know how to feel ab- about a lot of this right now. Like over over. The, the overall kind of state of the program. I, I do think this changes things. It puts it in a different context. Again, not a ton of new information in this report. A lot of these are stories or the types of stories that we've heard over these last six weeks. But it's proof that the athletic department, Gary Barta, Kirk Ferris, were made aware of this over a year ago and clearly didn't do enough to change things. Um, and, and so... Yeah, I... and if, if you
0: drop down and, and you we've kind of hit the... The student-athletes, and, and maybe you were headed this way anyway, but it popped into my head. You know, you get the feedback from the student-athletes in the report, and then you get the feedback from the coaches in the report. And then you get the feedback, I think, is is also very important, is the staff and administrative committee, Yeah. Um, that other subcommittee. You know, there were some things in there, you know, with... You know them talking about checking a box in terms of dealing with um diversity Mm -hmm. you know people in there and not feeling comfortable talking about racial inequality they didn't even feel like they were comfortable talking about it um i'm trying to find that part of the story uh an explanation for the resistance was described as a staff being uncomfortable with constructive conflict (laughs) And that's in quotes, uncomfortable with constructive conflict, which prevented them from addressing implicit and explicit biases. One one interviewee suggested that diversity needs to be, quote, ingrained throughout the department and emphasized in the strategic plan as much as winning, graduating, and doing things the right way. So... They didn't feel comfortable talking about that, but they also felt like it needed to be addressed. And that's just, it's tough to resolve that. It's tough to, um, you know, wrap your mind around how change was going to happen.
1: And then you you know you go back and it's it's a different thing, but uh, the whole Gary Dolphin situation with unconscious bias would have mm-hmm. happened around the time that this report was was given to Gary Barta, correct? Right? It would have been late winter, early spring. It was you know late basketball season of, of 2019, and so at a time when when they are acknowledging unconscious bias and and punishing a play by play voice uh, for saying something wrong. Uh, Meanwhile, they're getting this report that this stuff is happening in their department all over the place. And and not only is it, uh, you're right, they're not even willing to talk about it. It's just this this weird kind of disconnect that um, it's hard to put all these pieces together and not see that uh, this was known by Gary Barta and people in the athletic department, people in the football program, Kirk Ferentz among them, and and just not enough was done. and again from there it's hard to then take the leap that enough is being done now it's it's hard to trust that enough is being done now if, if they weren't willing to talk about it and they weren't uh, willing to even kind of make themselves aware of it uh, so, so then I guess that just brings me to this investigation from Hush Blackwell and and more importantly I was reaction to it and, and I was uh, Can I ask you something? Yeah yeah please
0: What do you want to see? From this report when it comes back, what would make you feel like this was object? Because we're we we've talked about this, Andrew. It's yeah. a, you know the Hush Blackwell was hired by Iowa. There's already um, somewhat of a narrative out there that it's going to be pro-Iowa because they're paying this law firm. Um, I think for me, in seeing the report the diversity task force report that i FOIA'd and everybody else did and was five pages and really was for lack of a better term watered down and not very specific to the full report that we released today i that to me F- feels like, okay, what, what are we going to get back here when this, this uh, independent review comes back that they're doing now? From your perspective, as a fan, as somebody who cares about the program, what would make you feel like this was done the right way and thoroughly, I guess?
1: That's that's a really good question. I I guess I don't know. I can't give you probably a a great answer until I see it. What I do want to see, what I know I want to see is as much transparency as possible from Iowa. Mm I I, I don't want... uh, some sort of, and I'm sure we'll get some sort of bullet point list of kind of the the findings and uh, and the recommendations, and and then kind of what Iowa plans to do about these things. But I, I want to be able to read as much of this as possible. Um, I, I don't know the legality of that. I don't know. You know, I know Kirk Ferentz said he thinks they've done upwards of a hundred interviews. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I don't know if it's possible to. To get some of those or all of those and and it, whether or not names are attached to those, again, I don't know the legality of it. what i what I don't want to come away with, Rob, is a feeling that Iowa is keeping anything from the report uh, back uh, and and now more than ever. I think it's more important today than it was yesterday to me to think that Iowa has a fully and fully cooperated with this investigation, hasn't gotten in the way of it at all, hasn't directed uh, them to to come to any conclusions or or to, you know, for for lack of a better example to you know keep Brian Ferencz's name out of it or anything like that but more than anything I just want complete transparency from Iowa I want no matter how bad or good this is and I don't think it's going to be great but no matter how bad this is I don't want Iowa to hold any of it back I I, I want to be able to see what what this investigation actually determined um, and then it's. At this point, you just have to kind of call into question Iowa's um, response to these things. And so, when we do see what the investigation details and and what recommendations are made, or I'm not exactly sure if that's how this works, if they will make recommendations, but actions need to be taken, and they need to be taken uh, quickly and firmly, and they need to be long-lasting and concrete. And so, I guess, without giving you a good answer of what I want to see in the report, because what I mean, if I'm being completely honest, what I want to see in the report is, yeah, this happened, and these guys were right, and and all of this is true, but it's not nearly as bad as it looks, and this is why, and this is how easily it's going to be fixed, right? I don't think that's what we're yeah. going to see. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so at this point, what I want to see is transparency from Iowa, and and some sort of, uh, I'm not sure what it'll take for me to kind of get the the trust back that I that I feel like they uh, can. Can do this on their own. Um, because what I see in, in your report today is uh, when left to their own devices, they will do um, maybe not as little as possible, but they certainly won't do everything necessary to have a complete culture change.
0: I think one real positive, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about Thursday's press conference with Kirk and Jaimon Colbert, Brandon Smith, and, and Tyler Linderbaum, but I'm encouraged by this this committee uh, advisory group I'm not sure how you want to uh, describe them I think advisory group is a, is a good one uh, of former players of former Hawkeyes that's now chaired it was originally going to be Mike Daniels but now it's David Porter uh, who was a member of that 2002 offensive line that great photo of those guys walking off the field you know jogging off the field hand in hand from that in that last home game against Minnesota and uh, really was the, a lot of those guys were kind of the found foundation of You know this program for kirk Ferrance. They kind of read they were uh, an integral part of rebuilding this thing um and i, I think david's a wonderful person he's a real estate uh agent in chicago every time i did a podcast with him i think it was i think it was in the fall maybe um and caught up with him and he's been involved in a lot of the um mentorship programs for iowa football and um you know meant he, he's done a lot of that on his own too Louis Louis trinka passat who played here mm. um he hired him at his real estate firm and kind of got him going in business. He's somebody who really cares about the program, and I think the other guys that are on that committee um, have to have the autonomy to for Kirk to listen to them. And he's talked about blind spots. There, there are things that he, he has admitted to not being able to see. These guys can point that out to him and say, listen, you know this isn't working. This is. This has to change. This has to be different. This. You know. You need a, a system of checks and balances. Whether you need to hire. Um, you know other uh, support staff that can be there as as soundboards for these players to to do a better job of overseeing guys. There's 120 guys of overseeing, giving them the most support. If there's anything that's come out of this task force report, Andrew, and what the players have said in the last month and a half, there was just such a lack of support, a lack of them being able to talk and share what they felt. And that's got to change. And I think this, this advisory group led by David Porter and maybe... Um, you know, having a the leadership committee is obviously the current leadership committee for 2020 is obviously by far the most diverse. Uh, it's the first time ever since Kirk's been here that there are more black student athletes on the football leadership community than white. In 2017, you had 16 white guys and two black guys, hmm. Miles Taylor and Akram Wadley. That's the t- those are the type of things and and we talked about the story I did a few weeks ago with the inequities about you know players you're bringing to Chicago and different representation within the team. These are all things that need to be addressed. It needs to be an inclusive environment and there needs to be uh, there needs to be systems there need to be systems in place so these players are supported. They're, as Kirk said, there're going to be unhappy people. People are going to be ha- unhappy with playing time, uh, maybe how they're, you know, how th- they think a coach is being unfair and they should play more. That's sports. We all know that. That all got, but it cannot be judged as there being racial bias and from what we talked to what we saw in this diversity task force report what we saw when these players spoke out the last month and a half that's what the problem was it wasn't just football
1: I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here is in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment Let's uh, let's keep talking about that Thursday press conference because, as I said earlier, I came away that from that feeling pretty good, and part of that was the the announcement that David Porter was the head of that advisory committee. After Mike Daniels essentially just didn't have time to, to quite uh, do the the amount of uh, commitment that 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 was going to take. Um, Ten members, all former players from the '70s through fairly recent, I think is the quote that, that Kirk Ferentz said.
0: And I and I will tell you this: I'm I'm not going to give out names. I know quite a few guys that are on there, um, but they don't really want their names. Out because they kind of want to do this behind the scenes, and I think that's a good approach. Um, but it's not all black guys; it's okay. a nice mix good. of guys, through the years that get along really well and want the best for this program. So again, I'm sorry to interrupt. But no, I'm really no. encouraged by that by that advisory
1: committee. That's great because, and that's one of the things we talked. I think in our last podcast, we talked about you know it'd be great to get a list of those guys. It'd be great to see, and I understand why they wouldn't want their names out there, but it is good to hear kind of some concrete things that they hey, they, this is a thing they have been meeting they 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 are moving forward with this um Kirk talked about uh, recent meetings last week. They dedicated a whole hour to the national anthem topic. Uh, it sounded like another kind of one of those fiery meetings, discussion on both sides. Uh, didn't come out of that with an answer. Didn't said he, I think he said there's not a right answer. It's obviously a hot button topic, but the conversations have been good and respectful. Uh, no final decision has been made on the anthem for the Hawkeyes yet. Assuming we have football, uh, this this may be the only uh, podcast we don't talk about COVID for a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, and, and I'm just going over some notes that I took during the the press conferences. I was watching it live or listening to it live uh, on Thursday, and it's it's funny because now I, I read this in kind of again a different context. Uh, I wrote this. Kirk thought we had a healthy co- culture, but clearly learned in June there are things that need to be changed. Which again just makes me question how could you have possibly thought you had a healthy culture when you saw this report over a year ago? Um, he, t- he said that the Twitter ban was silly, and a big thing is uh, you know what are they choosing to make important and what things that, that that are silly Uh, things like first year players not being made available to the media. That's something they're considering. Um, He talked about how in 1999, when they came in, they needed those regulations. They needed to kind of institute uh, a pretty harsh culture, a pretty uh, buttoned up culture to kind of change the culture of Iowa football. They don't need those things that much. He says he he trusts players to let him know when things are silly, uh, and 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 he hopes that he's now created an environment where where they can speak up. Uh, he talked a little bit about this investigation that we've been mentioning, the Hush Blackwell. He said that uh, he spoke with them uh, earlier last week. He gets the sense or got the sense that they were starting to kind of wrap up that portion of it, the the interview portion of it. Uh, he doesn't know how long it, it will take to to then take those you know hundred plus interviews and and create a report or. Create Create any any sort of uh, path forward, uh, but he appreciated the opportunity to elaborate, give more details, go deeper than the media or or some of the stories we've heard. Um, and and so that that's just kind of some of the stuff that Kirk said before we get into the players. Uh, anything big I missed there, or anything that you took away from from Kirk's portion of the press conference on Thursday?
0: Yeah, I think him kind of just uh, you know touching on the different areas from. You know what they're doing and how they're trying to prepare for the season in terms of not knowing what's going to happen, but mm-hmm. just trying to take things day by day. But I think he did a good job of just giving an overview of, of how things have gone yeah. um, and, and talked again about just kind of realizing that more needs to change. And I think, you know, if you look back, Andrew, at You know, what Kirk's stance was back when Colin Kaepernick was kneeling and that was a big national story. And there were college football programs that were kneeling and and he was staunchly against that type of protest to where he is now, where he's having, you know, (laughs) you know, meetings where he's allowing players to get up and share how they feel. That's that's healthy, and I really got a sense from, and like you said, we'll talk about more what the players said in a minute. But I got the sense that it just feels like the last few press conferences that I've been to, um, the one on June twelfth, and then the one on Thursday, that a weight's kind of been lifted off mm-hmm. the shoulders of this program, and you know, I, I think that they there's it's it's relief. It, yeah. it really is. I think there's a lot of just relief. Uh, and the people in there, and then when they think about the relief of the change in terms of You know what can happen in terms of inclusion. Then there's the the anxiety of whether or not to go play a football season. (laughs) So there's a lot of emotion. It's it's kind of a microcosm of what we're all dealing with, you know, in in the country and in the world right
1: now. Absolutely. So yeah, and and what the players were saying, and uh, I'll just paraphrase some of of what I heard from from Jaimon Colbert, Brandon Smith, and Tyler Linderbaum on Thursday when they spoke uh, with the media. That that's what made me feel good Thursday coming out of that. That's so it made me feel like uh, things had started to change. They were headed into the, into the right direction. It was easy to say that back on June twelfth uh, when th- it was pr- uh, still pretty new. But now that you've been into practice for quite a while, you, you're you know you're a month further along or even more than that. Uh, to hear these guys say that. You know, uh, younger guys are being included more than ever before. You see more unity in the team, more willingness to talk and be open about their issues. You don't have to walk on eggshells anymore. I think it's something that Jimon Colbert actually came out and said. Um, He also said it's good for white players to see what their black teammates have dealt with. It's a good moment for the team to have the black players stand up and be honest about these racial issues, not just within this program or or within their time at Iowa, but in their lives. And to see these white players who who consider these guys friends and teammates, maybe get their eyes opened up a little bit to the reality that their friends and teammates are living with that they've never really had to consider before um, the the fact that these meetings have all mostly been positive you know this certainly the outcome of them has been positive Brandon Smith said at one point if you come to Iowa your voice will be heard you will be considered valuable uh, again that's just not what we heard from players uh who told these stories uh, in the past. So it's good to hear that. It feels different in a better way. Players are more comfortable, more outspoken. Everything, I think, said by the players was exactly what you would hope to have heard from those players as far as the changes in the program. And so I guess as as we move forward, Rob, the question is, is enough being done now? Uh, Are they able to kind of uh, move forward in a way and change the culture in a way uh, that 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 it doesn't make it okay what happened before. It, it that that'll never be okay, and that'll never go away. And those players will never be able to get those you know those times back or those feelings back or anything. But uh, are Kirk Ferentz and Gary Barta and this current staff are, are they in a position now uh, giving everything we know? to be the ones to lead this forward? Are they, are they able to? Uh, do they want to? Is this something they're willing to take on and take on seriously and not not right now when it's hot button and we're all paying attention, but you know, hopefully two years from now when uh, we're not worrying about COVID things and, and some of the race things have, have settled down a little bit, are they still going to be as adamant uh, about doing these things, about changing the culture? I guess those are the questions that you have. But uh, again, from everything I heard from the players Thursday, it sounds like things are headed in the right direction are kind of on the right track
0: yeah and to, to you know to your overarching question about you know, are, are the people in position to make the necessary change? I don't think we can answer that. I think it's a, a, time, a time will tell thing if Kirk and Gary can do this. Um, and it's not really for us to decide, um, mm. it's for the powers at Iowa to decide. It's really for the former players to decide and the current players to decide if they have enough belief. In this football coaching staff and this athletic department to create the necessary change that they want. Um, And again, this isn't, you're not, you know, just completely taking away all of the football coach's power, but you need to have a system of checks and balances there. And I really like, you know, when they got back to campus last month, there was the two days of meetings where they just let loose and everybody shared some really powerful messages of, you know, they had hard conversations. This this conversation about the National Anthem is a hard conversations. conversation. Those need to continue. Those can't be once in a while. Those can't be when a problem comes up. Those almost need to be regular to where, you know, maybe once a month, people, you know, you get together and say, okay, it's, you know, it's Festivus. It's the airing of the grievances. Let's right. hear it. Yeah. And the guys in that building, um, I often say this, and I've heard this from a lot of players, the guys who are are playing and practicing they can tell if the coaches are playing the guys that deserve to play. They can tell the guys, you know, there's, there's transparency there. That's all out there on the practice field that everybody can see what you're doing. Well, that needs to transfer over into the culture as well that off the field into the meeting room that it's open where everybody can see how everybody else is feeling, um, and, and communicating. That's one of the things that came out of that report as I mentioned earlier was just the lack of communication and the lack of co- in comfort about communicating and having these discussions. And I guess time will tell if the players feel like they're getting everything they can get out of this football program, and, and particularly the guys that maybe have been in this program for two or three years, they're going to be able to tell the biggest difference of of how this is changing and the progress that's being made. I'm interested, you know, six months, a year, even beyond that down the road, to maybe talk to some of those guys and say, you know, obviously some of the wardrobe changes were made, but what did you feel like, systemically was changed in that building what what made it feel more inclusive you know what was it was it the conversations what were those conversations like we're hearing a little bit now but andrew this is going to be a long road this is not an easy fix
1: no and and as as i you know like Kirk acknowledged in, in the press conference on Thursday. Uh, they were supposed to have a couple of more meetings As, as at those points. You know, things come up. It, it's life, right? It, it, during the bye week, he's very busy. They get back from, from the Holiday Bowl and, hey, th- hey, things are going pretty well. We had a good season. Things are progressing well. Everybody seems happy. We probably don't need to have that meeting. That kind of stuff just can't happen. It just can't happen no. anymore. You have to be diligent about this, and again, when the, when the eyes are off of you, let's say this report comes out, they make the necessary changes, and we get a football season this this fall, you know, come January when when people aren't necessarily talking about this as much, when it's not when the the front page news isn't uh, the the racial disparities, but it's actually the football stuff on the field. Uh, that doesn't mean it goes away within that program. This has to be something uh, where these these people fundamentally change the way they've dealt with this in the past. And and you're exactly right. It's going to be a long process. This is going to take years. And so I guess that's kind of what. Everybody in that program, everybody in that athletic department needs to kind of look in the mirror right now and say, am I up for this? Is this a, is this a, a challenge I'm willing to take on? Because this is not going to go away anytime soon, and it's not going to just fix itself by itself. Uh, this, is, this is too ingrained. It's gone on too long. It's too systemic. Uh, I think we're seeing this in our country right now. These things don't just go away unless they are properly addressed. And so uh, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how Iowa moves forward from here, what comes out of this investigation. And, um, I you really they- have to think, Andrew. I mean,
0: if people want, you know, listening or wondering, saying why, why, why are these changes so big, or why, why are you guys saying that these changes are going to take time, and and really, there's a lot to do here. Just look at that report and look at. You know, the way of thinking of people Mm -hmm. that are in that athletic department and how they view things and their perceptions. That's a lot of work to change how people view things and how people perceive things. That doesn't happen overnight. That's a you know, that's an educational process that's going to take time.
1: It really, really is. Good stuff so far today, Rob. And and as we do each and every week uh, now. Until we know what, hopefully we will know there is a football season and we'll be able to continue to do this. But until we're told there isn't a football season, we're going to act in this final segment of this podcast like there is a football season and we're going to talk some football. You posted an article on Hawkeye Nation earlier uh, last week. Five incoming football freshmen that you are excited to see on the field this fall, and we're going to run through those here uh, in our final few minutes. I'm just going to go through the list and kind of let you tell me uh, a little bit about them and why you're excited to see them. We'll, we'll start with where you started, uh, Logan Jones, a defensive tackle out of Council Bluffs.
0: Yeah, really, I've, I've kind of followed I, – uh, I think, Logan, it was after his 10th grade year I went and covered a – I believe it was Under Armour, not Nike, uh, camp, like a combine in Chicago, and he was there. He was one of the youngest guys there, man, and he really held up well. And I'm like, hmm, now I see why they offered this kid. (laughs) Now I get it. And great job by Reese Morgan identifying this kid's talent early. Um, Kirk has made a comparison to Tyler Linderbaum, just kind of a guy who plays with a lot of leverage, strong, physical, nasty, uh, loves to just get in there and get on that line and, you know, s- smack helmets and you push guys around. I think Jay Neiman said, you know, when Logan is involved, the he's usually moving the pile the other way. So, you know, and he's another guy, I think, when you look at Tyler Linderbaum who came in as a defensive tackle – he was a guy who I think would have been a really good defensive tackle, but they saw the need at center and have moved him there. And obviously, he's he's uh, the transition has gone really well. Um, but Logan's that kind of guy that you just you put in the middle of a line on either side of the ball, and he's going to make a difference.
1: Uh, moving on here, Deontay Craig, defensive end from Fort Wayne, Indiana, a guy who had some big offers out of high school. Yeah, and
0: I would recommend folks, if they're th- wondering about Deontay's athleticism, go watch some. Uh, he plays in a state that's known for basketball. Go watch some of his basketball film. Um, just really impressive. Oh, just a guy who's cool. very athletic, and I, he brings you know a ton of athleticism um, to that defensive end position. As we know, Andrew, and what we've talked about, the seven starters, I think, have graduated off the defensive line mm-hmm. after the last two seasons combined. There are opportunities there, and I think that's probably a big reason, not only from, you know, just individually how much I like Logan Jones and Deontay Craig, but there's opportunity there for these two guys.
1: Uh, another guy who had some some big offers, uh, a tight end, Elijah Yelverton out of Texas. Uh, he's got a couple of g- good names ahead of him. Sam Laporta was named to the, you know, the Mackey Award watch list last week. Uh, Sean Buyer is is a seasoned guy, but uh, as we've seen at Iowa, you can never have too many tight ends. Uh, what do you like about Elijah Yelverton?
0: Yeah, and I was pretty consistent with playing at least three guys. So even if you assume that that Sam and, and uh, Sean Beyer are going to play the whole year and be healthy, which we all hope happens, um, there's going to be a third guy there. And it could be Elverton. He, he, uh, he enrolled in January. Unfortunately for him, he didn't get that spring practice that he was hoping to get by enrolling in college early. Um, but just a really, really athletic He's he's kind of in the mold of those really versatile Iowa tight ends. And the good thing that you mentioned, Andrew, is he doesn't have to come in like Laporta did last year and kind of had to save the day, so to mm-hmm. speak. He'll be able to kind of you know work himself into the mix. And then maybe as the season goes on as he develops, he can continue to contribute more and more, and uh, you know, uh, the, I mentioned it in is his write-up, but Luke Lachey, uh, whose father, Jim Lachey, played for Washington in the NFL and at Ohio State, and is the color guy uh, for Iowa or Ohio State football, interestingly enough, and uh, Ohio State did not offer Luke, um, but Luke is a really good tight end, too. He's coming in in this class with Elijah, so two really, really talented tight ends in this recruiting class.
1: you talk about guys who have an Opportunity to play right away, Reggie Bracy, a safety out of Mobile, Alabama. He may be that guy with Geno Stone heading to the NFL.
0: Yeah, and to be goofy and, and kind of uh, corny, uh, Reggie is embracing the role of Cash. <laughs> nice. He nice. Uh, he he likes. He likes the idea of playing that position. Uh, he kind of likens himself a little bit to what Dane Belton did last year, and then Amani Hooker the year before. That hybrid linebacker/safety type. He's got some growing to do, but it'll be interesting how that works itself out. If you know Kavon Merriweather ends up being that strong safety. Or Dane Belton moves back to that strong safety spot and opens up cash. If Bracey can come in and show that he's that, you know. Seasoned enough, or, or um, you know, advanced enough, I should say, to play the strong safety spot or cash spot. Very interesting competitions going on in that secondary.
1: Uh, and then when I opened this piece by you, Rob, last week, I knew there was one name I was certainly going to see: <laughs> uh, Tori Taylor, a punter of, out of Australia, looking to come in and uh, and again add some. Uh, you know, as as you say in the in the piece, Michael Sleep Dalton solidified the position after a, a couple of rough years at punter for the. Hawkeyes last fall uh, after graduate transferring from Arizona State. Uh, Tori Taylor may be a guy who can come in and, and do that again here for for the Hawkeyes.
0: Punting is winning, right, Andrew? Uh,
1: absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so for the Hawkeyes, we, yes.
0: We, we who follow Iowa football have come to appreciate and embrace uh, <laughs> the punting position yes. and how important it is for the. Um, the approach of Iowa football, and you know, I, I think we're seeing more on a national basis, these Australian rules, punters, I mean, they're, they're starting to really, really uh, kind of fill college football programs at a high level, mm. um, are coming in and these guys are really finding a lot of success and uh, Torrey has never played an an organized game of American football. He's only played Australian rules football and trained to become a punter, but he's never actually played in a game. So that's an interesting uh, <laughs> dynamic to this. And also um, with COVID going on, he's been unable to get over here. He's still not here yet. So that is something to keep an eye on. And it also you know, With the guys that he would compete with when he does get here, Ryan Gersande, who's been in the program for a few years, and Nick Phelps, uh, transferred from San Diego, or, um, South Dakota State, those guys are the guys on campus right now, and it'll be interesting to see, and hopefully Torrey can get here as soon as possible, kind of throw his hat in the ring, and we get a full punter competition to get the best guy, uh, best guy left standing.
1: As always fun to talk some football with you Rob and uh, even though all of our conversations aren't light and fun uh, I do I do still feel they are very important and uh, I just want to uh, thank you and credit you for some great work uh, reporting this story putting this together and putting it up on com. it's certainly what people are talking about today and will continue to uh, to be talking about I know that's not why you do it uh, but it is important and I think uh, what you're doing is uh, is great journalism important work and as you said uh, at the beginning of this anybody who loves this program I mean, Everybody who truly loves this program and wants to see it succeed and wants to see it move into the future and be inclusive and, and a, a good place for student-athletes and for coaches and, and for all of us to kind of come together together uh we, we need this change to happen. And, and as painful as it can be sometimes, and as, as much as you kind of want to hold your nose and close your eyes and pretend like it's not happening, uh, that's not the way to go about this. We need to, to get this into the light and to, to, to make real change and to hold the people who are accountable, hold them accountable, uh, make sure that they are doing those things. We as fans can't let off the gas on this either to make sure that this stuff happens. So, so thank you for what you, you are doing, and uh, this is fun as always
0: thank you Andrew I really appreciated your perspective and looked forward to it today and I thought it was great just in terms of the view from a fan perspective and I I really appreciate that and um, you know I'm I'm it's been it's been a, a tough month and a half here, but I do, as we touched on uh, from Thursday's press conference, I do feel like change is happening for the better, um, and encouraged and optimistic that this program is going to be the best it can be, and still has that opportunity to be the face of necessary change, of inclusion and equality. Um, and uh I, I just i i really hope that happens for any student athlete that uh ends up coming here uh because there's so many great things about iowa and yes. iowa city and the iowa football program and and the fan base and the support uh it's there if just the necessary changes happen think about how great it could be
1: i love it rob what what can people expect coming up on Hawkeye nation uh, the rest of this week
0: yeah, I'm going to probably try to do some more football till they tell me not to, you know, in terms <laughs> Please, of previewing yes. the season and getting some more of those stories out that we can talk about in next week's podcast. Uh, probably track, track down a little bit more recruiting info this week. Um, may try to do a mailbag podcast. I'm sure that'll be, a, uh, I'm sure that will be entertaining. Uh, maybe do... Uh, Maybe do a, uh, some other podcast this week as well. So, as usual, a full week at Hawkeye Nation, and uh, I appreciate everybody that uh, gives us a look.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. Go Hawks!